Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. One of the things that I want to add up front is that uh, normally this podcast is for the, the talks that are given. Uh, at the University of Iowa on on Tuesday nights, and they are the talks that I myself put together. Um, This particular recording is kind of different because we had a guest speaker at Iowa, and um, we've got other people on other campuses that that contribute things. Um, So the words and thoughts of this, this was all this message that you're about to hear was all put together um, by Nathan Powell, who is one of our campus ministers at Iowa State. Now, the cool thing about CCF is that all of our campuses are going through the same book and, and roughly in the same time. And so we were able to kind of turn around and make this recording um, from Nathan's notes. Now, Nathan himself is not making the recording um, because right after giving this message and kind of during having or during having given it, he, uh, he came down with the flu. Uh, so he's not, his voice really isn't there to be recording it. So I'm still recording this, but I wanted to let you know that this is Nathan Powell stuff. Um, and not to say that it is in any way less or in fact, it's basically to say, if you think that this is really good, um, it's cause it's not from me. It, it, it's from Nathan. Um, so here are what Nathan put together about second Corinthians chapter four. This week, we're going to be continuing our series on 2 Corinthians by going through 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to start today just by reading uh, the whole text up front, the whole chapter. It's it's only an 18-verse chapter, so it shouldn't be that long. So let's just dig into that text and hear what it has to say. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are... For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence." All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
often Christians talk in odd or amazed tones of those ones, you know, the ones who are really bold, who go to foreign countries, even dangerous ones to tell people about Christ, the ones who go toe-to-toe with the most aggressive enemies of the gospel and face the mockery of our culture, the ones who share the gospel with strangers and plant churches where they could be shot for speaking the name of Jesus. Their accomplishments are praised, their heroics eulogized, and their example is thought unthinkable to follow. People like Jim Elliott, who wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He died at 29 in the rainforests of Ecuador trying to share the gospel with cannibals. And his wife later went to those same people herself and shared the gospel with them. And she wrote, I have one desire now, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. We hear these stories and beat ourselves over the head with admonitions to be braver. Uh, We curse our cowardly nature that betrays us and our tongue that stays still when it should speak. We begin to wonder if maybe we're just second-class citizens, not quite cut out for the mission of the gospel, but hopefully God will still let us in. This is an unbiblical idea. There are no tears to heaven. Sure, there are rewards earned for our obedience, but those are only given to be laid down at Christ's feet anyway. Hopefully, during this lesson, by God's grace, you'll see from this chapter that what you lack is not a superior courage, but a superior view. Let's get started. First, the message belongs to God, not to Paul or or Timothy, both who had contributions in writing this book. So Paul and Timothy won't give up. If we look back to chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we can see that it's God who makes Paul sufficient, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Then it says in 2 Corinthians that they have this ministry by the mercy of God. That means that God owns the message, writes that he's not going to lose heart, whatever comes, because his success isn't in the result, but in doing what God desires. Then in verse 2, we see another effect of this. That they aren't going to change the message. Paul isn't going to pander to his audience, telling them what they want to hear in order to get them to affirm a belief in a God that looks like themselves because that's what they really want. He's going to teach the truth and so commend himself to them. What does that mean? Just that even if they don't like it, if they're honest, they will not hate him for sharing what is true. People often dislike hearing the gospel, not because it's untrue, but because they don't like the message. Paul isn't afraid of that. While that doesn't mean he's going to use a method that draws unnecessary ire, he's also not going to flinch in the face of pressure to change. There will be no tricking people with a bait-and-switch faith. Now look down to verse 5. Here's why he's not afraid of being rejected. He's not promoting himself. If people reject him when he speaks the truth of the gospel, they aren't rejecting a message of, look how cool I am, but a message of, I'm nothing, but Christ is Lord. He says they're servants of the Corinthians for Jesus' sake. The word there is doulos, more literally, slave. He sees where the gospel calls him to make himself in comparison to others for Christ's sake. What more can they do to him by rejecting him? Then in verse 7, we see that Paul describes himself as holding treasure. That is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in jars of clay. Plain, unadorned jars of clay are just vessels, an object that holds something else. He's telling the Corinthians that he won't make himself big and important because he doesn't want to upstage the content, the true message. The power belongs to God. He talks about this in the first letter of the Corinthians where he wrote, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul tells them that because the message comes from God and they are just the vessels, they're never going to give up. 
his humility about his status makes him unstoppable. But one might say, isn't he being proud of the fact that he chose to follow God? Really, he's just trying to get people to see things his way so he can look better. To answer that position, we need to look at how Paul believed the gospel can be received. In verse 3, he says that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Then in verse 4, he says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The parallels here show that unbelievers are those who are perishing, those whose minds are veiled. Now look down to verse 6. Here God, who has the power to speak light from nothing into existence, shines the light of the gospel in their hearts. Why does this matter? Because when a person does not believe, they are looking through a veil. They don't see the glory of God. There is no one who sees the glory of God truly and clearly and says, not for me. But when the light of the gospel shines in a person's heart, they see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the veil has to be removed. And how does that happen? In the last chapter, verse 14, Paul tells us that only in Christ is the veil removed. In all of this, the persons whose minds and hearts are being effective are passive. It's Yahweh and the God of this world who are acting. Deny the fact that there's some action on the part of humanity and belief, but it is to say that Paul believes that it is by God's grace and his sovereign actions that hearts receive the gospel. So Paul can't be puffing himself up with this because there's nothing for him to boast in except to boast in the power of Christ to save literally anyone. In fact, Paul would use himself as an example of how God can save anyone since he's, quote, the worst of all sinners. Uh, from this, Paul points out that his job is simply to preach the truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and whether hearts will see the truth and believe is not on him. He's not supposed to make himself big, but rather humble himself, knowing that it's God's grace that he has this precious treasure. Treasure. Lastly, Paul wouldn't stop because he saw the glory of God. Verse 6, he says that God has shown in their hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At the end of chapter 3, Paul says that those with unveiled face when beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. He's saying that seeing God's glory is transforming him to be more like Christ. The thing that makes him truly unstoppable by any man, though, is in verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is he saying? Even though his body is decaying and failing, he's becoming more and more renewed, more like the image of Christ. What's going on in the world is light and momentary. He sees the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that lies beyond. So what motivated Paul? What empowered him to face all of the trials he mentioned in this chapter? What powers the, those people we talked about at the start? What will actually help you to change? Seeing Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Paul and Timothy saw his immeasurable worth. Jim Elliot saw him saying, Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Elizabeth Elliot saw him and summarized the source of Paul's confidence, saying, God is God. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. To the one who is lost, the one whose heart is veiled still, you may reject God and despise the cross as a fool's belief, though you might call it things like having an open mind or not believing we can know anything for sure. There's only one application of this message for you. Repent and believe in Christ for your salvation. You might not feel like believing, and it's time to pray the most honest prayer we have seen from a man in the gospel. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. The glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ is a treasure beyond measurement, and the hope of the eternal weight of glory is indescribable. 
Some of you may say that you believe in the work of Christ, and yet inside you believe that you can earn it. You pat yourself on the back saying, well, I may not have deserved it, but I'll earn it from this point forward. Humble yourself. It is God and God alone who unveiled your eyes before you deserved any part of it. And if you continue to believe, it will will only be due to his grace poured out on you. You will never earn salvation. You must look to Christ also and see that no one will earn their entry. He's the only door, and once you're in, there's no point in earning your place because he's already given it to you. Many of you good Christians struggling in your faith will try to take this and add it to your load of burdens. Do not do that. This is not another stone to add to your load of responsibilities to be a good Christian. Lay down that load. Take up the cross. Look at Christ. Do you see his immeasurable love for you? How God came to earth to die in order to cleanse you of sins? See how, as you look on Christ in his glory, you will repent, believe, obey, endure, and witness, and do so in increasing measure. You may think you will not, but you need to take your eyes off yourself. You believe you will not because you look at your own limits, your own power, but it is God who does the work, and he is faithful to do as he says he will. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week, and please know that we are praying for you.